0: Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me again on another solo episode of the Red Light Report. Before we jump into some of the exciting research I have to cover today, just want to give you guys a little insight to what my last week has been comprised of and what I'm looking forward to as well. Firstly, here in Montana, western Montana, the past week or two has been huckleberry picking season and huckleberries are definitely one of my top, I would say top three or four favorite fruits. Mango is probably top of the list, raspberries a close second And huckleberries and blueberries could fight for third or fourth. But regardless, so huckleberry season, it's always fun. There's a trailhead pretty close to my house. It's like a three or four minute drive. And then you hike about a mile to a mile and a quarter in. And there's this amazing area, which I have dubbed Huckleberry Haven, because it produces an incredible amount of huckleberries, at least in that area. And so every year, ever since I've lived here in this area in the valley, The last five or six years, we've been going, my wife and I have been going to Huckleberry Haven and getting our fill of huckleberries. And especially this year, the last couple of years, but especially this year, I've been doing a ton of trail running. Love trail running. I don't like to run in general just for the sake of exercise, but if you can get me out in nature and just the way that trails are unpredictable and you're going up and down and you're just running by trees and the creek and all the aromas of nature... I could trail run all day. I love it. Especially when I was in physical therapy school, I would do a ton of running, whether I was on internships or just in Missoula, you know, running around the mountains. But man, I have rarely ever fallen down when I've been trail running. And of course, you're going to stumble and trip on, you know, roots of of the trees and brush, or you might stub your toe on some rocks or some uneven footing. You're going to tumble a little bit, but I have never fallen during trail running. But last week on July 4th of all days, when my wife and I were going to pick huckleberries, I I went ahead of her and did a quick trail run. Not only did I fall once, straightforward, both hands out on the ground. So I fell once, scuffed both of the palms, the bottom of the palms of my hands. When that happened, I was like kind of confused, taken aback, almost embarrassed, that the trees and the rocks saw me (laughs) fall down. And I was like, what just happened? Like, this never happens to me. So I get up, you know, look at my hands, and it's like, well, I'm just going to keep running. And not 10 to 15 seconds later, I did another face-forward fall down, both palms on the ground or on the rocks, scuffed them again. So for it to happen twice, essentially within 10 or 15 yards of each other, I was just shocked and astonished But regardless, I I washed my hands off in the creek, or the creek, however you want to pronounce it. And my wife always gives me a hard time about that. Washed my hands off in the creek and continued my run. And as I was running, I was kind of irritated and agitated that I'd fallen down twice. My palms were hurting. I scratched the the face of my phone because I was holding it in my hand, which is probably not a great idea. But regardless, I made lemonade out of lemon in this situation in the sense that I was like, well, I have two very fresh wounds on the palms of my hand and why don't I just do my own N equals one controlled experiment here in the sense that I'm going to red light therapy one of my hands, take pictures daily, and then the other is just going to be the sham, if you will. It's going to get all the exact same treatment that my right hand does as far as cleaning and hydrogen peroxide and uh, neosporin and, and just cleaning and the whole regimen, wound healing regimen, but one of the hands is going to get the red light therapy just so we can compare the wound healing and see if it really does quicken up the healing process and kind of what the healing looks like post-healing, so to speak, as as in the scarring, you know, how much scarring is left when this is all said and done. At the time I'm recording this, it's a little less than a week since I have fallen, and up until the last day or two, they've been pretty similar but as I look at them now, the side that has been getting the red light therapy, and I intentionally chose this side because it's a bigger wound, and so I wanted to see how it would hold up to the quote-unquote normal healing process of the left hand. And so today's the first day where it looks like the red light therapy is ahead, and again it's a bigger wound, so not only is it ahead, but it's a bigger wound healing quicker than these smaller wounds. So we'll see what the next week or so holds for these wounds, but I've been taking pictures every day, and once this is all said and done, I'll I'll find a way to share this on social media or something just so you guys can kind of see some pictures of the before and after and what red light therapy has done for me from a personal experience. So that's my trail running Huckleberry N equals one red light therapy story, and to follow that up, Huckleberry season is always traditionally around July 4th. I mean, even as wet and overcast of a winter and spring as it's been here in Montana, the huckleberry still showed up around the exact same time. And raspberry season, which we have a ton of raspberries at my house here, uh, which I've been taking meticulous care of watering, and my mom brought over some llama poo to give the soil more nutrients. And I'll have to say and admit that it has worked tremendously well because I don't think our raspberry bushes have ever looked so healthy and voluminous. I mean, they're looking fantastic, tall. They're growing like weeds, quite frankly. I mean, that's how strong and healthy they are. And we had our first raspberries yesterday, my wife and I, so we can see the raspberries growing and it's going to be a massive raspberry season. And so this is kind of funny because I call huckleberries the skittles of the forest or skittles of nature because when you're on the trail and you're just running or walking or walking along and then you pick some huckleberries and pop them in your mouth, there's that sweetness, that tartness that kind of just reminds you of, of a Skittle. Not that I eat them anymore, but from my childhood, I certainly know what they taste like. And I call raspberries um, the Swedish fish of nature because I think raspberries taste like Swedish fish, just a healthier form, so to speak. So looking forward to raspberry season. So I hope you guys are, are doing your own gardens and planting your own foods. We also have some tomato plants that are also blowing up because they've been fed some llama poo and they're getting plenty of sunlight and and water. So hope you guys are enjoying your gardening season and getting out in nature as well. But let's cut to the chase here. And uh, before we get into the research, there is one more announcement that I want to make. I can't officially announce it yet, but I can give you guys a little sneak peek that we are about to release what I think is our most exciting, and when I say our, Biolights most exciting product to date. It's going to be along the same vein as as the Matrix, but different, and I'm going to argue significantly better. So hold on and, and strap up if you're excited for, for some new full-body red light therapy products and something that's probably going to, I'm going to say, is going to kind of shape and move the red light therapy market forward in a positive direction with, with this single product alone. And I'll explain that at a later date when we get there. But but just keep your eyes out, whether you follow me or BioLite on social media or, or you get the email newsletter, uh, keep your eyes peeled and your ears peeled because we're gonna be dropping a hot new product very, very soon. But let's get into some research, shall we? And so I was uh, recently requested by someone, someone sent me a DM, and any of you guys can if, if you want to request some information, or, or again, like I said last time, if you want to come and join me and share your red light therapy experience on the podcast here. But someone requested for me to go over some information about photobiomodulation and brain lesions. And so I just did a quick research to, to see what there was available that I haven't covered quite yet. And the first article we're going to cover regarding brain lesions or brain injuries is acute traumatic brain injury. And so this is an article from June of last year, 2022, and it's entitled Photobiomodulation in Acute Traumatic Brain Injury, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. And for those that aren't in the know, uh, a systematic review and a meta-analysis is kind of like the gold standard of research, because you're scouring all of the available research on a particular topic, and you are doing an analysis, a meta-analysis of all of those articles. So it's a way to get a very accurate portrayal of the available evidence or research of a given topic. And in this instance, the topic is photobiomodulation and its effect on acute traumatic brain injury. And so there's some pretty good information in the introduction here, so let's begin there. And so they go on to say, The application of photobiomodulation in the field of TBI, or traumatic brain injury, has gathered interest and scientific evidence in the last decade. The application of photobiomodulation as a therapeutic intervention for the injured brain has taken two principal forms. One in the acute setting post-injury, intended as a neuroprotective, neurorestorative therapy, and number two, in the rehabilitative setting, in the chronic phase post-injury, for the purpose of improving symptomatology or neurocognitive neuropsychological function. And so preclinical studies on the efficacy of photobiomodulation in acute TBI have generated positive results utilizing moderate or severe models of TBI in rodent species with promising results in an early clinical study. The methodology, outcome measures, and hypothesized mechanisms in chronic contexts differ greatly from acute applications and as such, the chronic rehabilitative phase of TBI recovery is beyond the scope of this review. And so let's jump straight into the discussion portion of this article, because this is kind of where the information gets a little more juicy for us nerds in the red light therapy space. And so there's gonna be a handful of subtopics here, like establishing an optimum modality, establishing an optimum dose, establishing an optimum dose regime, establishing an optimum delivery technique. And so we're going to go through these and just kind of review what they have written here because, again, this is a systematic review, meta-analyses. So this is kind of the best information we can glean on this specific topic. Again, red light therapy related to acute TBIs. We can think of, like, motor vehicle accidents. Either you bonk your head falling down or, like, standing up and you hit your head on something. Or think of all the different sports uh, when you hit your head. Football, hockey, soccer virtually any sport you have the potential to hit your head and bonk your head and have a concussion like event and and so that would fall under a tbi it's a traumatic brain injury some small some big but i mean we could kind of look at it under that guise if you will Well, guys, Biolite has what's called bundles. So simply go to the Biolite website, biolite.shop, go into products, and there will be a tab for bundles. With each of these bundles, there's three of them, you save 20% off on the entire package. For example, we have the beauty bundle, which includes a shine and stand, a guardian plus, and the longev revive cream. So that bundle of three products, you save 20% off the entire package. There's the recovery bundle. That includes the recharge plus panel, the guardian mouthpiece, and then the longev Recover Cream, and that Recover Cream is just like the Revive Cream, except it has added CBD oil infused into it. That package of three items all comes at 20% off. And then the last bundle, which is the most versatile bundle in the sense that you get to pick and choose what products you want, you get to pick and choose from the Recharge Plus panel, the Restore Plus panel, or the Matrix Full Body Matte, and then you get to choose between the Guardian and Guardian Plus, and then you get to choose between the Revive and the Recover Cream. It also includes the Shine and Stand, so you get to choose between black, and silver, by purchasing those four products in the Ultimate Bundle, you save 20% off all of the products. You also save 20% off shipping. So literally, the entire package and shipping is 20% off. So if you're ever needing some red light therapy products and are looking for a discount, just remember, the bundles are always 20% off, 365 days a year, no coupon code necessary. And so let's go into... This first little topic here, again, it's establishing an optimum modality. So they go on to say, The subgroup analysis presented in this review identified that the available evidence supports both continuous wave and pulsed wave as therapeutic modes of dose administration. And just so stepping back a moment, continuous wave is going to be like all of the LED panels we have on the market where the light is on and it's just there. It's not changing. It's not pulsing. And thus, pulsed wave is when we can choose a frequency, say 10 hertz or 20 hertz or 40 hertz or 100 hertz. And typically we're gonna use that pulsed wave when it's in a near-infrared wavelength because these pulse waves, as the research has shown the last handful of years, various pulsed wave frequencies have benefits on the brain. And I can't remember if I reported it on here, If not, it's on the new shine product page because that new shine product has the capability of a light setting of 40 Hertz with near infrared. And the intention is that 40 Hertz is therapeutic for the brain, specifically for degenerative brain issues like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. So we know 40 Hertz is pretty therapeutic for that. And so we'll get to the different Hertz here for traumatic brain injury, but just know there's benefits for the continuous waves, red light therapy there's benefits for pulsed wave red light therapy. And so that's why if you've been paying attention to BioLite, with our panels that we've introduced and that are currently on pre-order, you have the opportunity to not only modulate the light irradiance, which I think is amazing, so you can literally increase or decrease the strength of the light, but you also have the opportunity to manually modulate the pulsed wave frequencies. So again, you can choose zero hertz and that would be continuous wave, but again with these new panels, the recharge and the restore, you can go up to one hertz all the way up to 10,000 hertz. And so as I'm going through this research and we're going over different types of pulsed wave frequencies, if you have one of those devices, the recharge or the restore, you'll be able to modulate your panel accordingly. So when you're treating the brain or part of your nervous system, and I'm reporting research or you see research yourself that says for this certain condition you want to use 60 hertz, for this certain condition you want to use 100 hertz to treat your brain because you're trying to prevent or or mitigate Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, use 40 hertz. So again, if you have that piece of technology, those new panels, you will have the ability to do that. Whereas all the other panels on the market at this point, you just turn it on, and it's a continuous wave. Again, that's not a bad thing, but as far as adapting to what the research is reporting, I think it's important going forward that you have a device that at least has the capability of modulating the pulse wave frequency. And of course, the light irradiance too, that, that becomes a big perk as well if you're trying to modulate your your dosage one way or another. But let's get back to the article here. So again, just to review that first sentence, This review identified that the available evidence supports both continuous wave and pulse wave as therapeutic modes of dose administration. The greater effect size of pulse wave is suggestive that there may be an advantage to this approach, though this analysis is not able to draw conclusions on the relative merits of pulse wave in comparison to continuous wave. Both approaches generated, in effect, size favoring intervention with statistical significance. It is noteworthy, however, that researchers back in 2011 compared continuous wave with pulsed wave of 10 Hz and pulsed wave of 100 Hz and found that the pulsed wave of 10 Hz was the most effective, with a statistically significant further improvement of outcomes compared with continuous wave. Another group in 2012 also found that pulsed wave at 100 hertz was associated with improved neurological severity score recovery at 56 days post-injury compared with continuous wave. The application and mechanistic effect of pulsed wave light delivery is not fully understood and warrants further well-controlled studies. Okay, so then let's move on to the next section here, which is entitled Establishing an Optimum Dose. And so in the subgroup analysis on overall dose, all three subgroups of dose demonstrated efficacy with statistical significance. The optimal dose is a subject of much debate in photobiomodulation research, which has not been resolved with wide-ranging and thorough reviews from across a large body of photobiomodulation literature in multiple tissue types. The well-established biphasic dose response of photobiomodulation creates potential problems of both under and overdosing of target tissue. The Hamblin Laboratory, which of course is associated with Dr. Michael Hamblin out of Harvard, they have argued that greater mitochondrial concentration, as in cerebral tissue of the brain, is more likely to respond favorably to relatively low levels of fluence and have a greater propensity for failure due to overdose. So again, just to review that quickly, uh, Dr. Michael Hamblin and his laboratory is saying if there's a greater mitochondrial concentration and thus many more mitochondria in a given space, like the brain, like the heart, like the eyes, they're going to respond better to lower levels of fluence or dosage with red light therapy and they have a greater likelihood of failing due to overdose. So keep that in mind if you know what tissue you're treating on a given session, if it's a more mitochondrial dense tissue, err on the side of a lower dosage, and, and if you're treating a tissue that is not as mitochondrial dense, then you can kind of lean towards the middle or or quote unquote high end of that dosage. But again, if it's uh, the brain, liver, heart, eyes, even skeletal muscle, err on the side of lower dosage to have a success. And again, that's based on what Dr. Michael Hamblin is saying here. But back to the article. However, the doses delivered at any depth within cerebral tissue due to impedance from scalp, skull, periosteum, dura, cerebral spinal fluid, blood, and the brain itself, is greatly attenuated even in rodent tissue this issue is amplified in larger animals such as humans delivery varies further on factors such as the skull thickness differing between species patients and anatomical locations in the absence of subject-specific complex computational modeling even establishing the quote-unquote dose reaching the target tissue is difficult more so if attempting to resolve this to discrete anatomical locations within the organ. Study, therefore, on the optimum dose is an even greater challenge. And so if you're listening, I hope that kind of resonates with you And what I've been saying over the last year or two, which is that red light therapy, while it's a relatively basic treatment modality in the sense that you just shine light on, on your body or a specific region of your body, It's relatively complex in the treatment dosage itself because there is not a cookie-cutter method. It's going to take years, perhaps, before we get more accurate information or, or research on specific diseases. So let's say you want to treat your thyroid or you want to improve your sleep or you want to improve your brain health in this case. We're going to have to have a lot of research in each of those areas to really have robust enough information to produce more accurate treatment protocols. Because again, the dosage, just as they elucidated in this last paragraph, it's extremely difficult to accurately measure how much light is actually getting to a certain tissue depth. And so how many joules is that tissue actually absorbing? And then there's so many devices on the market, they all have different light irradiance's Uh, Some of them have various wavelengths. So it's like, how much light are you actually getting to a given tissue? It gets very complex, and there's so many variables at play here that at the end of the day, it's almost like, just do short, moderate sessions, and that might be your best bet if you're just going for a shotgun approach. Of course, if you're trying to be as accurate and and have as uh, beneficial of treatments as possible, you do want to use the most accurate Protocol at the present time, but as you can see, it gets rather complex in even determining what that optimum dose is. So, again, let's be patient and let the research come out, and I'll continue to report and update the protocols as necessary. But in the meantime, uh, just understand this is not a perfect science as of today. (laughs) And so, moving on to the next section here, it's entitled Establishing an Optimum Dose Regime. So, they go on to say, Subgroup analysis has also demonstrated clearly that two key factors in the photobiomodulation dosing regime should be considered. Firstly, the time to initial dose is of great importance. The therapeutic effect appears to be lost or greatly diminished when first dose administration is given more than around 6 hours post-injury in rodent models. So just as a quick reminder, we're talking about acute TBI in this article. So again, within six hours, you want to be getting that red light therapy or that near infrared light onto your brain. They carry on here. Furthermore, the beneficial effects of photobiomodulation appear to be lost where repeated administrations are given on a daily basis over a number of days, though the optimum duration of a treatment course cannot be established from the current literature. A group from 2013 examined this directly and showed that in their model, the efficacy increased with 3x versus 1x doses, or 3x versus 1x doses, but any derived benefit was lost if the course continued to 14 doses. Whilst direct comparative data is limited to the study, a group in 2020 found considerable therapeutic benefits, particularly in functional outcomes with doses given over a 15-day course. So so the takeaway from that is that uh, you wouldn't do this red light therapy treatment to your brain just once after getting that acute TBI. And so that's what that research back in 2013, where they're citing that three times was more beneficial than one time, but any derived benefit was lost if they did 14 or more doses a more recent piece of research, again from 2020, saying that they found considerable therapeutic benefits when doses were given over a 15-day course. I don't know exactly how many treatments were given over the 15-day course. I would guess they stacked many in the beginning, meaning like one or two a day for the first handful of days and then back it off to every other day and then maybe even once every three days towards the end. So you wouldn't exceed that 14 times in the 15 days Again, you're treating the acute injury by stacking treatments early and then spreading them out as time goes on. So again, as more research comes out, we'll be able to get more definitive strategies based around the uh, optimum dose regime. And then the next section here is establishing an optimum delivery technique. So they go on to say, the specifics of delivery vary greatly between studies using a transcranial delivery method photobiomodulation parameters, which include light irradiance, fluence, exposure time, positioning factors, such as directly to the skull, directly to the scalp, or a specified distance from the scalp, and then also specimen factors, meaning the underlying derotomy, craniotomy, closed surgical wound, these all have considerable effects on the dose delivery to the target tissue. So the included results are not able to inform conclusions regarding the potential benefits of varying specifics of a transcranial application method, nor inform conclusions on the benefits of either direct or transcranial application of photobiomodulation. And just stepping away from the article, I wish they would have included intranasal red light therapy as well, or photobiomodulation. Granted, that's only gonna get a very small portion of the entire brain. And I guess you'd be, you know, quote unquote, hoping that your uh, brain injury was more in the frontal lobe, which is where those intranasal lasers or LEDs would be irradiating. But if your brain injury was on the side or on the back of your brain, then the intranasal would be rendered useless. So perhaps that's why intranasal wasn't included with TBIs. But let's step aside and also say that if you had the option of using, let's say, a brain helmet or a brain hat plus intranasal, that's like, why not? You're just um, stacking the cards in your favor at that point. But back to the article. Uh, They say that only one study used both direct and transcranial approaches, and this is from an article in 2012, and they were not directly compared. So that's not useful. But then they go on to say here, whilst this review has principally considered the incident energy exposure to injured target tissue, i.e. the delivery to neural or glial cells, there is a growing interest in the systemic effects of photobiomodulation. Given the low penetrance of red and near-infrared light to the brain from the external application, it has been hypothesized that transcranial photobiomodulation has contributory effects from photon absorption in superficial tissues, uh, the scalp with its rich vascularity, the skull with its calvarial bone marrow. And so photobiomodulation directed to the tibia in a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease has been shown to activate mesenchymal stem cells. Calvarial bone marrow niches have interfaces with cerebral spinal fluid, which is a possible conduit for activated mesenchymal stem cells from skull in transcranial photobiomodulation. And further to this, Photobiomodulation application to anatomically distant sites has been observed to result in therapeutic effects in neurological disorder. Termed the abscopal effect, therapeutic action distant to irradiated tissue has been recognized in radiotherapy since 1953 and more recently considered in photobiomodulation. Recent research in Parkinson's disease has identified therapeutic benefit for improvement Of clinical signs in a short series of patients receiving photobiomodulation to the abdomen and neck, with similar benefits to those observed with transcranial delivery. In animal models, however, direct stimulation appears to carry greater benefit. The mechanism for this is not known, but has been proposed as activation of remote immune and stem cells, which become systemically active after photobiomodulation. It is noteworthy here that the deep brain target in Parkinson's disease, the substantia nigra, receives significantly attenuated doses in humans, even with transcranial application. So interesting stuff there. We can potentially affect the brain by irradiating our bodies distally. And we know this from other research I've reported on where we can attenuate or improve brain health or mitigate symptoms of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's via treating the gut only. That thing called the gut-brain axis comes in clutch there. And so, what other avenues are there that we can get positive results to the brain? Apparently, like in what was reported here, stimulating the production of mesenchymal stem cells, getting that into the cerebral spinal fluid, which would then eventually make its way up into the brain, that's an interesting potential. I would want to see more research on that to see how replicable it could be and how repeatable. But regardless, to have more more than one way to treat the brain outside of the brain would be fantastic. So if we can, treat the brain directly. If not, treat the gut. If not, or as well, I mean, stack your cards again, stimulate some stem cell production and, and get that bad boy or bad girls up into the cerebral spinal fluid, up into the brain. But let's continue on to the next subsection here, establishing the translational effect in humans. Uh, So this review has focused on the acute phase of injury. The applications of photobiomodulation in patients with TBI in clinical studies is, however, much more broad when considering chronic or rehabilitative contexts and has been well summarized elsewhere. This systematic review identified one study reporting the application of photobiomodulation in acute TBI in human subjects. Whilst this study was not sufficiently powered to detect any functional benefit, this study provides some evidence of a physiological effect of transcranial photobiomodulation through radiological outcomes. Whether this will translate to clinically relevant effects should be the subject of further study but that study was able to demonstrate a favorable safety profile to support further study. The total number of doses received by enrolled patients varied and was not transparently reported nor considered in the data analysis. So for this reason, the overall quality of the study was deemed quote-unquote fair, and consideration for dose, dose regime, and dose delivery should be a key consideration in the planning of further clinical trials of photobiomodulation in TBI. And then we're just gonna roll right on into the conclusion here, which is just gonna wrap up everything we just discussed. But they said, this review has provided clear evidence of the beneficial effects of photobiomodulation in acute TBI. Whilst specific parameters for optimum effect cannot be determined, the literature supports the following. Wavelength selection in the regions of 665 or 810 nanometers, so one red, one near infrared, minimizing time to first treatment, uh, a limited total applications of daily photobiomodulation. Included studies comprising mechanistic considerations support the hypothesis that photobiomodulation reduced cellular apoptosis or cell death, reduced microglial activation and neuroinflammation attenuated neuronal degeneration, promoted neurogenesis-synaptogenesis, and modulated metabolism. Precise radiometry reporting in the literature for the purposes of comparability between studies is encouraged for future work. Whilst clinical data in acute TBI is limited to a single study A considered approach towards study protocols should be taken in order to ensure that further clinical study is utilizing optimal parameters and is conducted to a high standard. So after even just going through that systematic review and meta-analysis, you can kind of get a feel for what that looks like. Unfortunately, they really only had one human study they could look at, and so that's why they kept referencing that there's one study, there's one study, there's one study, and while there's some promising effects, we still need a more precise answer to A, B, and C in future studies. So that's what's nice about a systematic review and meta-analysis is it looks at the available research, finds the positives, finds the negatives, and finds what future research needs to look at. So it gives a direction for where research for this particular topic needs to go. But let's continue along this theme of how red light therapy can help prevent or mitigate brain injuries or brain maladies, brain lesions, if you will. And we're going to look at an article from 2018 in August. It's from the Journal of Molecular Neuroscience. It's entitled, Photobiomodulation Therapy Attenuates Hypoxic Ischemic Injury in the Neonatal Rat Model. So yes, it's not humans, and it's a pretty unique injury, neonatal, so just being born, but dealing with a pretty interesting injury in that it's hypoxic ischemic. And so we're just gonna look at the abstract here. We're not gonna go super deep into the article, but you'll be able to check out the full PDF at the link in the show notes if you wanna look at this article. But the abstract, it goes on to say, photobiomodulation has been demonstrated as a neuroprotective strategy, but its effect on perinatal hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy is still unknown. The current study was designed to shed light, haha, on the potential beneficial effect of photobiomodulation on neonatal brain injury induced by hypoxia ischemia in a rat model. Postnatal rats were subjected to hypoxic ischemic insult followed by a seven-day photobiomodulation treatment via a continuous wave diode laser with a wavelength of 808 nanometers. So let's unpack that. Seven-day treatment, uh, again, continuous wave. They didn't do pulsed wave, and they used laser versus LED. We know that doesn't matter as long as you have the dosage right, and they used near-infrared light at 808. So let's move on. We demonstrated that photobiomodulation treatment significantly reduced hypoxia ischemia-induced brain lesion in both the cortex and hippocampal CA1 subregion. Molecular studies indicated that photobiomodulation treatment profoundly restored mitochondrial dynamics by suppressing hypoxia ischemia-induced mitochondrial fragmentation. That's the first time I've heard that term, fragmentation, mitochondrial fragmentation. Further investigation of mitochondrial function revealed that photobiomodulation treatment remarkably attenuated mitochondrial membrane collapse accompanied with enhanced ATP synthesis in neonatal hypoxia ischemia rats. In addition, photobiomodulation treatment led to robust inhibition of oxidative damage manifested by significant reduction in a lot of acronyms for HNE, PH2AX, MDA as well as protein carbonyls. Finally, photobiomodulation treatment suppressed the activation of mitochondria-dependent neuronal apoptosis in hypoxia-ischemia rats as evidenced by decreased pro-apoptotic cascade 39 and tunnel positive neurons. So a lot of that's extra you guys don't need to know. But taken together, our findings demonstrated that photobiomodulation treatment contributed to a robust neuroprotection via the attenuation of mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, and final neuronal apoptosis in the neonatal hypoxia ischemia brain. And so this is this is a pretty cool article just to quickly review with you guys because While while this is a very unique and rather intense brain lesion, especially so early in life, the results or or the mechanisms of how red light therapy helps this condition is virtually similar across all conditions. So it's just a reminder that at the end of the day, if we get the right dosage with red light therapy, you're probably going to see good results within the tissue you're targeting. So again, what did they find? Well, Red light therapy contributed to robust neuroprotection. And I would hazard a guess that part of that was due to a reduction in neuroinflammation. But they went on to say that was also secondary due to a reduction in mitochondrial dysfunction. So, if you're going to improve mitochondrial health, you're going to improve cellular energy, you're going to give your body, your cells, your tissues, more opportunity to heal and return to homeostasis. But then also you're reducing oxidative stress. So you're removing or you're getting rid of these electron stealers. And of course, the more electrons you have, the more energy you can produce, and the happier your cells and tissues and organs are going to be. And then of course, reducing cell death, neuronal cell death, so you're reducing the death of nerve cells. Well, yeah, that's going to be a huge deal in the brain. So again, we're seeing a lot of commonalities across conditions, across the body, across different organs. Uh, Again, as long as you get the right dosage, the right wavelength, and the right duration, and those are all interrelated, then you're likely going to see positive results with red light therapy. And again, low risk, high reward, non-pharmaceutical, non-invasive, and again, amazing potential results. And then let's wrap up today's Solosode, with one more article looking at photobiomodulation and brain lesions. Uh, This one comes out of the journal Photobiomodulation, Photomedicine, and Laser Surgery. The date is October 2019. It's entitled, Intracerebral Transcatheter Laser Photobiomodulation Therapy in the Treatment of Biswanger's Disease and Vascular Parkinsonism. Research and Clinical Experience. And so just looking at the abstract here, the objective, this research is devoted to intracerebral transcatheter laser photobiomodulation therapy in the treatment of ischemic and neurodegenerative lesions of cerebral white matter in the patients with Biswinger's disease and vascular Parkinsonism in comparison with conservative treatment methods. So the background? Well, recent studies have shown that photobiomodulation therapy has a high potential in the treatment of various cerebral lesions. So materials and methods, there's 27 patients with Biswanger's disease, average age of 78, 17 men, 10 women, and of these, the test group, uh, 1 through 14, the, the patients underwent intracerebral transcatheter laser photobiomodulation therapy, and the control group, the patients had conservative treatment. 62 patients with vascular Parkinsonism, the average age was 77, 48 men, 14 women, and of these... Uh, 60% of the patients underwent intracerebral transcatheter laser photobiomodulation therapy, and the control group was 40%, and they, again, had conservative treatment. So the results, good and satisfactory clinical results were obtained in test group 1 and test group 2 patients in 92.5% of the cases with a persistent decrease of dementia and motor impairment, and recovery of cognitive functions and daily life activity. Control group one and control group two patients showed a satisfactory clinical result in 16% of the cases. So again, compare that to 92.5% of the test group, and it's more like 15.8% of the cases in the control group had a satisfactory clinical result. So persistent positive dynamics was not observed. Conclusions intracerebral transcatheter laser photobiomodulation therapy is a pathogenetically justified, effective treatment for Biswanger's disease and vascular Parkinsonism. It restores cerebral, collateral and capillary or capillary blood supply, improves microcirculation, restores cellular and tissue metabolism, stimulates neurogenesis, and causes regenerative processes in the brain. So again, a lot of positive things happen when you get the right wavelength. And again, I can only see the abstract. So unfortunately, I don't know what wavelengths they used, what devices they used to do this, but we know that it was an intracerebral transcatheter. If they were literally getting the the catheter to the brain, they could have been using red light because you don't have to penetrate the skull. But again, I don't know. But the point being, you get the right wavelength, the right dosage, good things are going to happen. In this case, Uh, They say it restores cerebral, collateral, and capillary blood supply. Well, and they follow that by saying it improves microcirculation. We know one of the main benefits of red light therapy is improved circulation. Well, it restores cellular and tissue metabolism. That tells me improved, enhanced mitochondrial health. And then it stimulates neurogenesis and causes regenerative processes in the brain. Well, you need energy. You need energy. ATP. You need electrons for that to happen. And so that's probably a byproduct of restoring the mitochondrial health. And I may have lied to you guys because there's one more article or at least one more abstract from an article I want to cover with you guys because I don't want to pass up the opportunity while we're on the topic of red light therapy and treating uh, brain health. Uh, This one is from the same journal as before and may as well be from the exact same journal edition, because it's also from October 2019, and it's entitled Transcranial Photobiomodulation Therapy in the Cognitive Rehabilitation of Patients with Cranioencephalic Trauma. So the objective of this article, this research evaluated the hemodynamic conditions before and after the transcranial photobiomodulation therapy and investigated neurocognitive changes before and after treatment. So the background... Traumatic brain injury, or TBI, is the major cause of morbidity and mortality among individuals aged 21 to 60 and causes about 500,000 people to be hospitalized in Brazil annually. And yes, the authors of this article are all from Brazil. Some survivors develop an irreversible decrease in neurological function and the mortality rate is as high as 70% in severe cases. Photobiomodulation therapy is an alternative to treat secondary injuries due to TBI. So the methods... This multidisciplinary clinical study was carried out on 10 chronic adult patients with severe TBI who were treated with photobiomodulation therapy with an optical device containing 13 sets of four light-emitting diodes, or LEDs, and underwent hemodynamic transcranial doppler and neuropsychological evaluation at three different times, pre-photobiomodulation therapy, post-photobiomodulation therapy after one week and late photobiomodulation therapy, which occurred three months after the last session. So pre, post one week, and then three months post. The patients received photobiomodulation therapies three times a week for six weeks. So 18 sessions over one and a half months approximately. Photobiomodulation therapy treatments were performed for 18 sessions for six weeks and 30 minutes per session. So again, they didn't give us the the light irradiance, they didn't give us the uh, wavelength, but they did tell us 18 sessions over six weeks, 30 minutes per session. So the results. The results found an alteration in the cerebral blood flow, as well as consequent increase of the cerebral oxygenation that helped improve the cerebral function. So the big take home on this one is they saw a big increase in circulation or cerebral oxygenation which, of course, helped the cerebral function. Conclusions, the photobiomodulation therapy contributed to increased cerebral blood flow, evidenced mainly by the increased left peak systolic velocity, which consequently increased the hemodynamic response after the photobiomodulation therapy and impacts on the peripheral cerebral perfusion contributing to improved cerebral function so so again guys that's not that many treatments if you're considering only three treatments a week for a month and a half Uh, okay so treatments are 30 minutes again we don't know what the uh, intensity of the light was but again they're seeing significant improvements in the cerebral blood flow and cerebral perfusion which when you increase cerebral blood flow cerebral perfusion or, or circulation of course, your, your, your brain is the most energy and oxygen dependent organ. So anything to improve those two factors, you're going to see some at least decent to significant improvements in whatever condition you're treating. Or if you're proactive, you could be doing some of these types of treatments to your brain to mitigate or prevent any type of brain disease or brain malady or neurodegenerative disease from happening. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, of course, you can't prevent TBI. If you're in a car crash, you're in a car crash. If you get hit when you're playing sports, you know, that stuff happens. But there are ways to, to, if you're just someone looking to improve your health and wellness and optimize it, then like I've mentioned before, I routinely do treatments to my gut and treatments to my frontal lobe, more so just to mitigate or prevent those types of stuff from happening in the future. Not necessarily that I'm trying to treat something today. So I would advocate for anyone that has a red light therapy device to incorporate those types of treatments. And then I include the Guardian. Those are kind of my big three treatments I do on a weekly routine is treating the gut at least once, treating my frontal lobes at least once, and then my oral cavity at least twice a week. And I feel like that, even without having a full body panel, that's a really good way to give yourself a nice systemic treatment because the gut has a massive impact systemically, gut-brain axis, of course, and then treating the brain directly. If you can help improve cerebral blood flow to your frontal lobe, you're going to improve your executive function, you're going to improve your energy, you're going to improve your personality and outlook, you're going to prevent stress and anxiety and depression. And then, of course, by treating the mouth and the oral cavity, by optimizing the oral microbiome, you're going to have a nice systemic benefit there because if you've, you've looked or researched the impact that our oral health has to our entire body, then you understand the implications of simply using something like a uh, the Guardian in your mouth once or twice a week. You can literally have effects throughout your body because of that. But that's all I have for you guys for this week. I hope you enjoyed a little deep dive into red light therapy and the brain. I hope it was insightful, especially for the person that requested it. I hope that was what you were looking for. But of course, you could also check out BioLight's page on brain and cognitive health and what red light therapy can do to help you there and the research that's also there. I'll leave the link to that page in the show notes. But as always, you guys go enjoy your summer, get outside, do some grounding, get your sunlight, do red light therapy as necessary. Leave a quick five-star review either on Apple Podcast or Spotify. I would genuinely and greatly appreciate that so that way more people can find this podcast and learn the wonderful information about red light therapy and how it can impact their health and their wellness and their quality of life. But as always guys, light up your health, have an amazing week, and you can look forward to a fun and exciting interview next week. But until then, you guys take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, BioLite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.